Hello, hi, I'm Erin Vandevin. Thanks for joining me today. This is Medium Lady Talks. This podcast is about figuring out the medium effort way to get the most out of life today. I hope the things I unpack here can role model and invite you to sort out your own ways to live life in the present. This is a show about experimenting to get closer to what matters most. I'm glad you're here, so let's settle in. Hello, hi, and welcome to today's podcast, episode number 10. I'm going to be very honest, which is that I took a brief two-week hiatus from recording, and part of that was because today's topic is my spring books. I'm going to review the books that I read this spring from March, April, and May, and partly I wanted to read just one more book, just one more book, so that I would have a good list of things to talk to you about today. The other thing I'm testing and trialing out is I'm recording in a new area of my home and there is a dishwasher and a computer fan running in the background. So we'll see how those things interfere with the sound recording. But when I recorded that first episode of Medium Lady Talks, which was about my winter reading list, winter 2021, I recorded it in my closet sitting on the floor, and listen, this old gal, I don't think she can pull that off. I don't think she can pull off recording on the floor anymore. So right now, I'm going to test out the opportunity to record in this space, and hopefully it works out for everybody, because the more comfy it is for me to record podcasts, the more podcasts I will record. (laughs) If you're new here, welcome. Welcome. I am Erin. I call myself Medium Lady because I'm not an old lady. I'm not a young lady. I'm smack dab in the middle of middle age. Not only that, but I do believe that everyone can live a life with meaning and purpose, provided they're willing to invest medium effort up front to decide what matters to them. One of the ways that I experiment with medium effort in my own life is at the beginning of every month, I give myself an experiment. Part of that experiment is to read. I sort of assign myself tasks or activities that fall within four pillars. I call those pillars read, play, try, and think. The read pillar is pretty self-explanatory. It's at the beginning of every month, I decide what I want to read and I list that out. And when I finish one book, I reach back to the pile that I decided I would read from at the beginning of the month. I also choose ways to play. Play will typically be something that allows me to experiment and have fun where the outcome isn't going to matter and where I can perhaps be silly or enjoy something a little bit more creative and not be too concerned about how it's going to turn out. In the try pillar, that generally is a way for me to step outside of my comfort zone every month and do something new. Usually the outcome is a value in the try pillar, different from the play pillar, but it doesn't always mean that I'm going to have a good or bad month, whether or not the outcome is the way I expect it to be. It's just something to learn about myself. And then the last pillar is the think pillar. And usually I kind of give myself a topic on personal development that I'm going to keep my ears and eyes open to as I consume books, media, conversations, blogs, other podcasts. 
and this generally is a way for me to turn inward on a particular topic. I might journal on it, I might think about what it means to me, and that medium effort of deciding what to think about when it comes to personal development allows me to hone in my focus and not get FOMO or fear of missing out when it comes to new topics or other things that feel important and feel valuable to my own growth. If you want to see more of my monthly experiments, please come and join me on Instagram. I can be found at medium.lady there. I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of entertaining posts and reels. I also have pretty regular guests on IG Live, and that really allows me to most of the time play, but sometimes try new things and share the outcome of those things with you there. In addition to joining me on Instagram, I hope you will rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to be listening today. As always, a five-star review and a written word with a bit of your thoughts will definitely help this podcast find like-minded listeners. And, you know, remember, sharing a podcast review is medium effort, and it would really help me out. Okay, I think that's all the housekeeping we've got under order. Now I want to jump into the review of the books that I read this spring 2021. So in spring 2021, I read 14 books. 14 books, which sounds like a lot, but if you divide that over the three months, I read more books in the winter than I did this spring. I mean, it's not a competition, but sometimes I think we expect to develop a hobby and then maintain a certain level of productivity within that hobby. And hobbies like anything ebb and flow. If you're someone who hasn't been reading in a long time, I don't want you to hear that I read 14 books and feel like you can't get back into reading. If you enjoy reading, pick up a book, pick up any book. Think about the last thing you read that you really liked. Pick up something like that and see where it takes you. A lot of our engagement around books, especially on social media, has to do with volume. And Instagram and publishing companies really leverage our own fear of missing out on the books that everyone's talking about. Most of the books I talk about today are not going to be new books. They are not going to be what everyone's talking about. I am someone who really leans into the backlist. I put a lot of stuff on hold on my library. Some of it comes up and I read it. Some of it comes and goes and I never get a chance to before the due date comes up. So if that's you and you don't read as much as you'd like to, maybe take a little bit of effort while you listen to this podcast and see if anything I say pops into your mind. See if any books I mention are books you'd like to read and just start there. Start with one book. Okay, let's get into the books. So I said I read 14 books this spring. I like to divide my books into categories. Again, all of this is self-proclaimed categories. If you like to divide your books into categories, you should do that with the categories that make sense to you. I'll give you what I use and you can start there and experiment from that point. So I read seven fiction books. I read three books in the personal development category and I read four nonfiction books. I do separate out personal development books from nonfiction, and that's because they make up a big chunk of the nonfiction that I read, and I do really like to read books that are instructive in one way or another, but I like to separate those out and kind of consider them within their own category as a type of book that I like to read. 
So I'm going to do what I did last time. And if you're interested in hearing about the books that I read in winter of 2021, you can dive into the previous episodes and go all the way back to episode number one of Medium Lady Talks. Um, Books was such a great point of entry for me into the podcasting world because I do read a fair bit and it really gave me a safe space to start using my voice and testing the waters when it came to this podcasting thing. I'm still really proud of that very first episode, and if you're interested in hearing about those books, I would highly encourage you to go check out episode number one. I do like to rank books in the categories from the book I like the least to the book I like the best. I call the books I like the least the probably pass section. And today I'm going to talk about three books in that category. The three books I'm going to put in the probably pass section are all novels. The reason it is kind of fun for me to divide what I read into categories like fiction, nonfiction, personal development, and then rank them by the books I like least all the way to the books I like best is it allows me to kind of plot all of these books in a grid-like pattern in my mind. I'm making this sound more scientific than it is, but it is interesting to step back and thematically think about what you didn't like and think about what you did like. Because if you take the time to consider that, then what it means is you can reach more for the books you know you like and reach less for the books you know just aren't for you. And then that means more quality reading time for everybody. The books I like the least this spring are all fiction, and that really surprises me. The book that I like the least is a young adult fiction book. I've talked before and on Instagram quite at length about my love of young adult fantasy fiction within which has a strong female heroine who has untapped uh, but brilliant powers of some kind. This book falls into that squarely. It is The Gilded Ones by Namina Forna. The Gilded Ones is about a 16-year-old girl who lives in fear of a specific ceremony that happens to girls in her village and actually across her country when they come of age. There is a sense of tribalism and fear around this ceremony because it is a possibility that the character is going to be identified as basically someone who has to be exiled from the community. But her dad is encouraging her and her community seems, everyone seems to be very excited. However, On the day of the ceremony, something happens and she realizes that she is in fact going to be named as sort of one of these exiled people in her community and in her country. The story evolves from there, but there is an important point of clarification with this story, The Gilded Ones. That is that the main character is Black. Now, I love young adult fantasy fiction and I recognize that the majority of the books that I read are about white women. And I really was looking forward to an opportunity to dive into the same genre with different types of characters. My criticisms really lie in the fact that this book is really doing a little bit too much. A little bit too much telling over showing. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before, which is really that instead of showing the reader what's happening to the character and allowing the reader to come to an understanding of what the characters are experiencing, The writer, Namina Forna, really spends a lot of time telling the reader, telling the reader about things that have happened but were not really in the book, telling the reader about conclusions that the characters have made 
that the reader has missed out on because they're not part of the plot line. Telling the reader about traumatic stories and events without allowing them to sort of settle in the dust. I think this book is trying to do too much. And I do think this book would have benefited from a little bit more of a nuanced hand when it comes to the tones of race and the tones of oppression. There is a lot of good stuff here, but it is almost too obvious to make the book enjoyable to read. There is a lot of violence in this book. I was pretty surprised that it ranks as a young adult fiction book. I do feel like there are scenes of very graphic violence. And I have to wonder if that was a purposeful choice on behalf of the author to make statements about violence as a tool of oppression. And there is a point when the abuse and violence against the lead feels very purposeless and leads you to a very heavy-handed conclusion about the plot climax of the book, I'll say. I do think that if you're reading this book and you're feeling excited to see a black woman in the main as the main character you might also really struggle with just how much this character goes through which i think is way more than the struggles that a white character of similar book genre would go through and maybe that's the point maybe that is a purposeful choice on behalf of the author but there are really a lot of scenes where, for example, it seems like a throwaway reflection on contemporary society. There's a scene in the book when the character has her head shaved, and it's a very upsetting experience for her. And I absolutely can step back and understand the importance of hair and the use of hair cutting as a tool of oppression, both as a point in the story and as a reflection on our cultural ideas about hair. However, while the author takes you through that experience, in the next day or two, the character's hair grows back as a sort of function of her underlying powers. And so you don't have to sit with that. You experience it and then very quickly move on to another similar type of struggle for the character. There doesn't seem to be a lot that sticks for the, for this character, she goes through so much and yet also she doesn't have much of a voice through the story she doesn't have much of a personality she doesn't have any likes and dislikes she doesn't have any sense of agency she is a leader she is influential but it's almost more that it's because of her powers and less because of the unique characteristics that she brings in terms of personality to the storyline that is the gilded ones by namina forna now i do like to say that of course this is my opinion and there's lots of people who don't think like me. And the beauty of that is that we can actually go into Goodreads and read a five-star review of this book and see what people really liked and thought about it. So I will tell you, this book has pretty good readings on Goodreads. It's rated 4.10. It has 11,000 ratings and almost 3,000 reviews. So maybe I am uh, out, of, out of speaking out of tone, but that's okay. I'm all right with that. I'm going to read a review by someone named Kai, and she's going to say here, Reading is a struggle when you pick up a highly anticipated book. Your expectations have reached Mount Everest levels, and you have to hold your breath until the very last page, hoping it won't disappoint. But the feeling when it actually smashes the ceiling? Priceless. 
Okay, so Kai, obviously, her expectations were blown out of the water, and my expectations were uh, at the bottom of the lake. I don't know. The cover reveal. Oh, that's very interesting. Okay, so Kai keeps saying, this one started with the cover reveal, and I knew I needed this book in my life. It's true. The cover is very beautiful. It has a picture of the main character. It's a beautiful artistic rendition of the main character, and I do think that Kai makes a good point, which is it sets the expectations very high that it's all going to be about this girl, this young woman character. I'm going to keep reading Kai's review here. She says, The Gilded One is a powerful high fantasy novel. That's true. It deals with issues that we know all too well. Racism, xenophobia, misogyny, inequality, abuse, trauma, and more. Yeah, I would agree. Um, It's almost too much for one young adult fiction book. The book is maybe 400 pages. It's not that long. And I will go back to my original point, Kai, which is that I think that there's a little bit too much in this book, especially because it appears that there will be more books to follow. It is a super, this is Kai's review again, it's a super feminist and empowering YA novel that offers a diverse cast of complex female characters, a black main character with many black Asian and brown major and minor characters. That is true. I was also really glad to see some um, female on female representation. Yes, that is also true. I do think that is a strength of the book, but I think that it gets lost. It gets lost in all the other things that the author is trying to do. These things are worthy and valuable, but they don't get any breathing room in this book. It's page after page of opportunity to give an example of something in this high fantasy novel that makes you think about contemporary society, but then you're moving so quickly past it that you you can't appreciate it for what it's going to teach you about the world we really live in. Um, Kai goes on to say, I should issue a short warning. The book can be quite violent. That is true. It does deal with trauma, abuse, and rape. That is also true. Love the messages. Love the representation. Love the story and the characters. It was simply a really good book. Characters with depth that made you curious to know about them, more about them. I think that's true. Um, but, but you don't get that. You don't get that. There's so much happening to characters And there's not very much happening in the characters to help you really get to a place where you can understand what they're going to do next and allowing the twists and turns to come from you getting to know the character on a deep level. Uh, Again, I'm going to go back to my comment that I do think that um, there is too much telling and not enough showing in this book. Okay, so listen, I am interested to hear what others have thought about the gilded ones it is my lowest ranked book it's probably the book i'm going to speak the most about and that was the gilded ones by namina forna in my 13th spot is a book called delicious this book is by ruth reichel ruth reichel is actually a memoirist and she's written some very beautiful books although i haven't read any of them yet about food this is her actually fiction debut It is about a character named Billy Breslin who sort of travels far from her home to take a job in New York. And there's a sort of underlying struggle that this character is going through. But she gets offered a job as an administrative assistant at this magazine called Delicious. And basically she works on the public relations hotline for their complaints department. However, what happens basically is that the publishing house decides to close the magazine. However, it wants to honor its guarantee, its recipe guarantee for its readers, and it leaves Billy in place at 
the offices to continue to fulfill the guarantee, but she's basically the only person working in the office of the magazine through the rest of the story. This book started off really well, and I was feeling excited because I had identified personally a new sort of favorite book um, quadrant, which is really food fiction. Food fiction, you know, whereby you have really great descriptions of meals or recipes embedded within, characters that like food, characters that talk about food, characters that work in food or food adjacent situations. I just really love books like that. Books about chefs and cooks, always a really kind of comfort zone for me when it comes to reading fiction. Now, Ruth Reichel is an amazing food writer, but I don't know if she's an amazing fiction writer. This book gets a little heavy-handed at the end. I think it could have ended probably two-thirds in. It is enjoyable. It was sweet. It was funny. You really cared about the main character. The writing about food is off the charts awesome. However, when I finished this book and I took a step back from it, I kind of felt really meh. And I felt really meh for a couple of reasons. The main plot line really kind of gets dragged down and the book takes too long to end. I don't know if you've ever had that experience reading a book. You're reading along, you get it, some of the main plot conflict is resolved and the book just keeps going on and on. It's like the writer has a hard time figuring out how to step away from the characters, how to leave the audience in a place where they can say goodbye to the story. And I really felt like that happened here for Ruth Reichel. The other thing is, and this only happened in Stepping Back, is that there are no BIPOC characters whatsoever in this book. Now, this book was published in 2014, and I would suspect in 2014 that this probably would have never jumped out at me if I had read this book when it was published. But listen, it's 2021, and when you know better, you do better. And I could just see after closing the book that the book was very bland in that it talked about food and it talked about food in an amazing, wonderful way, but in a very contemporary Western kind of way. And that there were really no characters of color whatsoever. I think if Ruth were ever to rewrite this book, and she never would, why would she ever do that? And I were to be her editor in this fantasy scenario, I really think I would encourage her to consider rewriting the book to include food from more diverse cultures and to include characters of more diverse backgrounds and to end the book about 100 pages sooner. (laughs) That's the book Delicious by Ruth Reichel. Okay, my book in the 12th place is The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mandel. And I'm not going to lie, I'm actually a little bit surprised myself that this book has ended up in my bottom three books for being in the spring. However, I read Station Eleven not too long ago, and I really loved it. I loved every minute of it. It is maybe one of the best books I read last year. The Glass Hotel is a new book by Emily St. John Mandel, and it is not a sequel But it is adjacent to the world that she creates in Station Eleven. And she does that in a really cool way. Now, the writing, the process, the structure of the book is really cool. But what's actually happening in the story is boring. That's the only word I can come up with. There is about four or five characters that are followed through the entire book, The Glass Hotel, which is a similar device that Emily uses in her previous book, Station Eleven. 
And it sort of happens in this intersection between this Ponzi scheme and something that happens to a woman on a ship at sea at the very beginning of the book. And you're waiting and waiting for those two events to kind of overlap in a way that feels meaningful and important. And they do overlap eventually. However, it doesn't feel meaningful and it doesn't feel important. It does feel a little bit meandering and artistic. I can't help but wonder if this novel was a good way for Emily to experiment with the idea of time and sliding doors. There is something about the book that is very haunting. I think that is the nature of her writing style and the way she captures almost reading through fog. There are very beautiful descriptions of Vancouver Island and there are very interesting thematic descriptions of water in this book. But the Ponzi scheme background for this book is just kind of too clinical to really bring the fog to a place where you get wrapped up in it. I wonder if perhaps I was a smarter person. I might have found this book a little bit more captivating, but I just kept waiting for the real magic to start and I never really got there. The one thing I will say is that I am beyond impressed with Emily St. John Mandel's ability to leave what I'm going to call Easter eggs in this book that refer to Station Eleven without being important to have read Station Eleven. It's almost as though the Glass Hotel happens in a parallel universe where the same characters and players are in existence, but they're not affected by the events that happened in Station Eleven. And that I thought was really cool. And I thought that at some point it might become part of the story, but it never did. And the Ponzi scheme really does take up a huge part of the novel and left me just feeling maybe a little bit empty inside. That is my book in the number 12 spot. That is The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mendel. Okay, so that was a lot of time spent on the first three books that were at the bottom of my list. I'm now going to talk about the middle of my list. The middle of my list is a category that I call the Know Yourself category. These are books that are neither the bottom of the list nor the top of the list, but they're not necessarily books that I would recommend unless you know yourself, unless you know the types of books that you're looking to read and the types of subjects that you like to read. The best version of this that I always go to first are the Throne of Glass books that I've been talking about off and on by Sarah J. Mass. I finally finished this epic seven book series in this spring by reading Tower of Dawn and Kingdom of Ash, which are the sixth and seventh books in the series. The series focuses around a character named Aelin Galathinius, who is the fairy queen of her realm and the epic battle and war that she goes to against two separate forces of evil. This was really great in terms of being an apex to a very epic storyline. I thought that Sarah J. Mass did a great job of interweaving the characters together. Book six is The Tower of Dawn, and it actually focuses on one main male character through the entire thing, and I loved it. I didn't expect to, and I suspect that if a lot of people don't like this character, then they won't like this book. However, I thought it was great, and it was a great break between book five and book seven. Kingdom of Ash, again, I thought was awesome. I really loved the storyline and how the characters all meet back together as the climax of the story occurs. 
Again, I'm not going to recommend these books because I think you really have to know yourself. You have to know if you are the kind of person who really loves young adult fantasy fiction. I've read a lot of Sarah J. Mass, and I actually think this is her best work. There are three books that I'm going to talk about together. I'm going to kind of lump them one beside the other, and those are Professional Troublemaker and How to Break Up with Your Phone. These are personal development books that I read in the spring. And as far as personal development books go, they were great. I don't have really a lot to say or complain about. Professional Troublemaker is written by Lavia Jai Jones, who is a Black influencer and motivational content creator. I found Lavia Jai Jones through the Marie Forleo podcast, and I loved her energy and the way that she talks about taking risks. Professional Troublemaker is her second book. And it really has to do with talking yourself out of the various fears that might be holding you back. The book is divided into chapters that break those fears down one by one. And Lovey essentially gives you a pep talk through each of those fears. I think if you're a person who is looking to step outside their comfort zone, but finding it hard to muster the motivation to do so, this book is really great. It is a short read. It is definitely written in her voice. There is also something wonderfully grounded about lovey in who she how she how much she knows who she is and makes no apologies for it she speaks quite a lot about being nigerian she speaks quite a lot about her grandmother and she uses those as two levers to invite the reader to consider their own cultural heritage their own sense of place and personhood and how they can use their sense of place as a way to battle down the fears that hold them back the second book that's in the know yourself category for personal development is a book called How to Break Up with Your Phone by Katherine Price. How to Break Up with Your Phone is a nice, quick, easily digestible book that makes a very convincing argument on the thesis of the fact that you should break up with your phone and there are a lot of really good reasons to do so. I picked this book up at recommendation from a friend on on Instagram and I'm glad that I read this book. However, I am not ready to break up with my phone and the back half of the book is a 30-day plan that you can deploy in order to distance yourself from your phone and essentially wean yourself off of its addictive qualities. I like this book because it did open my eyes to many of the ways that apps and software developers have used the addictive nature of a phone to keep me entertained with it and entwined with it. And I wonder if that awareness alone will allow me to figure out the best ways for me to get distance from my phone as an interrupter and disruptor in my life. However, I did not have the commitment or the time to put into the 30-day plan, and I also felt that at a certain point, the book can veer somewhat preachy in that it does encourage complete disconnection from one's phone through the duration of the 30 days, and I just wonder how much utility there is in this kind of extreme practice. I would have preferred, instead of 30 days, a just hour-by-hour practice to disconnect from your phone that I could duplicate on any day that I felt like. Rather than taking 30 days to actually break up with my phone, I could probably break up with my phone hour-by-hour, but I could not break up with my phone for a day. (laughs) I'm not ready to do that. I don't want to do that. There are two more books in the Know Yourself category that fall into nonfiction. The first one is very short and I'm going to talk about it. It's called Skin Care by Carolyn Hirons. I picked this book up because it seems to be the holy grail book touted by anyone who talks about skin online. 
I've been interested in learning about my skin probably for the last two years, just like anybody else who hit age 35 and realized there was going to probably have to be more than just smothering on your very basic face cream day and night. And I have learned a lot over the last two years. The book Skincare is a really great place to start if you have not been spending two years learning about skincare, as I have. And I'm happy to say that there was nothing in this book that threw me for a loop. And so I felt really good about my own self-education over the last couple of years. It is a really fun book. It is well-written. It is large. It feels like a textbook. It looks like a textbook. And if you're looking for a textbook, I would recommend it. But you again have to know yourself. If you know about skincare, if you understand ingredients, you probably don't need to read this book. But if you think you should be taking better care of your skin and you don't know where to start, I would recommend Skincare by Carolyn Hirons. The last book in the nonfiction category of the Know Yourself section of books is The Body Keeps the Score. This is by Bessel van der Kolk. And I'll be honest with you, I have not completed this book yet, but I am going to include it in my spring reading because I've read a lot of it. The Body Keeps the Score is not what I thought it would be. And I wonder if that is again a know yourself category. And I probably didn't do enough research into this book before diving in. That being said, it has been very useful to me in a number of ways that were unexpected. And so I do appreciate it. And I am glad that I read it. I actually thought The Body Keeps the Score would be more about releasing trauma from life experiences rather than about how trauma gets stored in the body after traumatic experiences. I will also say that this book deals with trauma with a capital T and really digs deep into the research and experience of survivors of child molestation, child abuse, and physical trauma. Because of that, it is a very difficult read in the first half, and I have had a hard time making my way through that content in order to get to the more relatable material in the book. However, I am committed to the cause. The book has taught me quite a lot about the mechanics of trauma and how trauma can be stored and relived by those who experience it, and I have found that very useful to myself in the work that I do. I am committed to finish this book, but I did want to include it in my Know Yourself category for my spring books. If you find the subject of trauma interesting, and if you find the subject of our bodies and our body's experience and how we store live our lived experience, I think you should jump into this book. But please be warned that some of the content can be quite disturbing, and it may not be for everyone. That's The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. There are only two books left in the Know Yourself category for my spring reads of 2021, and they are almost disparate opposites. The first book is a book called Nompiming. It is by Leanne Badepsamosake Simpson, who is an Indigenous author and artist. Nompiming was a very challenging book for me to read, and partly that is because I was open to the experience of a novel as I have always experienced it. I read a lot about this book after I finished it, and I listened to interviews with the author after I finished it in order to make sure that I was giving myself the benefit of the doubt and not really being sure what I had read. The book is actually quite stunning. However, you really have to be grounded in a sense of place if you are a non-Indigenous person reading this book because Beta Samosake Simpson is not writing this book for us. She has written this book for Indigenous readers who will embrace and enjoy the experience via the characters, some of whom are not human and many of whom are not using language in the way that we would traditionally expect in a novel. The book is 
Again, like I said, very, very beautiful. Most of it takes place outside. There is a lot of reference to the elements. There's a lot of reference to nature. It's also very funny in unexpected ways, but I did get disoriented enough that I did forget the initial the initial driver for the point of the story. And because I forgot that, that's on me. It's it's definitely there at the beginning of the book. Because I forgot that part, I did get a little bit unmoored. And I actually know I'm not alone in that experience. And I think it really helps me ground myself in this book and what this book has to offer. That is the book No Puming by Leanne Betasamosake Simpson. It is a great book if you are looking for something a little bit experimental, if you are looking for a way to engage with Indigenous art and Indigenous storytelling that is um, accessible but not traditional. I would really recommend it, but you have to know yourself. Like, Like I said, I finished the book and I hadn't really grasped where I was going in the story and um, I had to do a little bit of work afterwards which was well worth it. The last book in the Know Yourself category is a perennial favorite of mine and that is Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. I am borderline obsessed with Little Women. I'm not going to dig too deeply into it except to share with you that I read it every year and every year it has new things to offer me as a woman, as a mother, as a sister, as a daughter, as a wife, as a person with a job. It is a brilliant vignette-driven story about four sisters and their mother in the U.S. during the American Civil War. Many people have adapted this book to movies. You may remember the version with Elizabeth Taylor. You may may remember the version with uh, Winona Ryder. You may have seen the most recent adaptation from Greta Gerwig. I love all of them. I'm here for all of it. I love this book so much and that's where I'll stop. I think you really have to know yourself. If you like classic fiction, you will probably love Little Women. I think even if you like contemporary stories about women, especially vignette-driven stories, each chapter there's something that happens, but it's really not driven by one crucial plotline through the entire book. I may have to just dedicate an entire podcast to Little Women. Um, Let me know if you would be into hearing that. And um, that is my last book in the Know Yourself category before we dive deep into my Medium Lady Must Reads. Okay, we're coming through to the finish line. The last three books I'm going to call My Medium Lady Must Reads. These are books that I think will appeal to the broadest group of people who enjoy reading and who want to pursue a new book on their TBR pile. These books generally for me get all the thumbs up and they're the books that I will continue to think of as I read other books. They essentially become a signpost for the things that I like to read and I measure other books against them. Now shockingly to me, as I said before, my bottom three books were all fiction. My top three books are all non-fiction and that really surprises me. Well, non-fiction with one personal development book. I am going to talk first about my number three book, which is Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb. Oh my gosh, this must have been one of the first books that I would consider on my spring reading pile, and I just loved it. Lori Gottlieb is a therapist, and she has had a very interesting career. Therapy is not her first career. She has a practice in Los Angeles. And she writes this book essentially about her own personal crisis that drives her to seek therapy, while also 
unpacking the stories of four of the people that she gives therapy to. This book is funny. It is wise. She invites us into the world of therapy as a patient as well as a clinician. She really unpacks a lot of the current conventional practices and wisdom of therapy. She makes the experience of therapy seem like the work that it is and the gift that it is. I am going to confess something to you, which is I personally myself, I would love to write a book someday. If I were to ever write a book, I certainly hope it would be something like maybe you should talk to someone. Lori Gottlieb does this expert thing where she talks about herself and then she comes to certain revelations and conclusions in her own therapy and then deftly draws nuanced parallels to the experiences of others that are not even remotely related to her own experience. But what she does with that is draw the reader into the sense of the fact that we are more similar than we are different and you will get a really loving and comforting experience that I hope would, if you think you might want to talk to someone, would encourage you to, in fact, do what the title of the book is suggesting and consider talking to someone. Maybe you should talk to someone is candid and personal. It's also expert and it can take a step back and give you a real sense of the knowledge and expertise that therapists bring to their work. I just loved it. It reads like a novel and it's fun to read. It's almost surprising how it's nonfiction. Uh, and I don't know if that's partly because Lori comes from a background in television and movies, but it must probably in some ways. I, I also would be really surprised if the screen rights to this book have not been optioned by someone somewhere. In some ways, it is a slightly more nerdy version of Eat, Pray, Love in that there is more discussion of research and therapy and the foundations of therapeutic practice. There's more of an educational, academic tone to it at times. But it's not dissimilar to Eat, Pray, Love in that it will make you laugh. It does have some tones of memoir in it um, while also being nonfiction. That is the book, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb. And believe it or not, that book that I just raved about is in my third position spot. The number two book on my list is The Skin We're In, which is by Desmond Cole, who is a Toronto-based journalist and author and activist. This is a very provocative, perspective-changing book. I think it is a must read for anyone who is claiming to build themselves a better practice as an ally, is wanting to understand their misconceptions of race in a new light. I think it is absolutely a must read and I know many people have read this book already before I did, but it was the first time that I was able to dip into it. I read this book by audiobook. It is read by Desmond Cole himself and I do think that there has been for me a real awakening in consuming activist-based books by audiobook when read by the author. I spoke in my episode about my winter 2021 list about the book they said this would be fun by Eternity Martis and how I also did that book by audio. This was a very similar but different experience because Desmond Cole talks both about his activism and journalism while also brutally unpacking the assumptions of people who live in Canada and deny a systemic racism within our country. These are things that we know for sure exist in Canada 
And if you are looking to be uncomfortable from the truth, and I hope you are, I hope there is a part of you that is willing to get really uncomfortable by learning what this history in our country has really meant for BIPOC individuals. This book is a must read. Desmond Cole does a deft and relentless dismantling of the police system, the school system, healthcare to a small degree, and he puts himself at risk to do so. There are times when he gets arrested. There are times when he suffers from his activism. The book is written in a really wonderful month-by-month experience and it creates a real picture of our lived lives and how we can have these experiences that we just wish to not have. We wish to put experiences behind us. Everybody can relate to that experience of wanting to put something behind you and move on. And what the skin we're in really teaches us and taught me is that for people who are black, people who are indigenous, other people of color, is that experience never gets put behind you because it's something you carry around on the outside of your body all the time. The sheer exhaustion that Desmond Cole puts forward in this book is really tactile and emotional when you listen to it by audiobook. This is the kind of book that you read and you never forget. You never go back. You never go back after you read this book to thinking that we live in a place that has evaded racism. I'm okay with that. I'm a little bit sad to know I was wrong all this time, that I believed some of the rhetoric about Canada being a safe place no matter the color of your skin, but I'd rather know the truth now, and I'd rather move forward educating myself in based in fact, educating my kids based in fact, and empowering ourselves to really walk the walk, because we've been talking the talk for a really long time. And it's probably time to, you know, um, bring the better world of our past rhetoric to life with real action. That is my thoughts on my book in the number two spot, The Skin We're In by Desmond Cole. I think it is a medium lady must read as it stands with social injustice and racism. My last book, my number one book. I can't wait to talk about this book. And I'll be honest, it, it battled a little bit with The Skin We're In. But this book is a book that I will reference and read and re-reference time and time again because of the way it will help and empower me to do the second thing, the thing that the skin we're in is asking me to do, which is to be a better ally and to use my voice. That book is the book Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. Burnout has a subtitle, which is The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. I think this book for me personally is groundbreaking. It really gave me a language to explain the stress that I experience, the emotions that I have, and how they get in the way of me living the life that I want to live. This book covers a lot in a really short period of time. It has a very engaging, for me personally, voice. The voice is conversational. The voice is encouraging. The voice of this book really uses a lot of vernacular and talks to you like the way a woman would talk to you. Another friend would talk to you while shopping whenever we, remember we used to go to the mall? Oh my gosh. Okay. When shopping, when, you know, hanging out at the soccer game, it really is written in a way that is so conversational. It has Amelia Nagoski, one of the authors, is a doctor of musical arts, and I think that in some ways that must have played into how this book was written. It's just so language-based that you can hear it while you read it. 
I did decide to read this book again, and I did so by audiobook, mostly because I was so curious as to how the writing of the book would translate to listening the book. And I can't say I would recommend one over the other, except to say that the audiobook has some unfortunate musical choices that I actually really take issue with. It does feel sometimes like when the chapter gets to a particular climax where the authors really want you to grasp what they're saying, they really want to kind of take you by the shoulders and shake you a little bit. There's this really saccharine music that plays for some reason, and it's very loud. And I just feel like it's a production choice that was totally unnecessary and did not make any sense at all. But that's my only complaint. This book I would recommend to any woman I know. And for that reason, I am putting it in the number one spot. This book can help anyone end the cycle of feeling overwhelmed. It can help you stop ignoring the obstacles and society societal pressures that are really real. When we talk about self-care, we avoid the fact that we live in a society that is demanding too much of us. So it ain't no amount of bubble bath that's gonna get you out of that situation. I really think this is the first book that I have read in terms of personal development for women that actually acknowledges the fact that we have grown up in a patriarchal society. And that is the foundation of the distress and pressure that we feel. It's not the only thing going on. We are not powerless. However, we must step back and acknowledge that our frustrations exist in that framework so that we don't beat ourselves up when we find ourselves back in the same places of stress again and again. There is so much about this book that I want to rave about. I will just tell you that I will probably give it as gifts. I would recommend you read it. I would recommend my husband read it. And I probably won't stop talking about it for the rest of the year. Now, it's my number one book. And you know, I love to meet someone in dissent. (laughs) I love to scroll across the internet and see who doesn't agree with me. I dare you to try and throw down. So we're here on Goodreads and what we're going to do is dive into the ratings. Let's see if I can get myself sorted out. It has only 2% one star rating. So let's see if we can find one of those people. All right. So this person's name is Ginger. Ginger gave this book one star and she opens by saying this, as the authors would say, ugh. No, really, I counted about five ughs in the initial skim through of this book. That is true. <laughs> but I kind of, I love that about the book. They're, they actually use the word ugh. This felt not only whiny and unprofessional, but also as if they were setting me up to not take it seriously. Beyond that, it was hard to. Everyone is talking about this. So while I don't particularly relish giving something a poor review, I just don't want you to rush out and buy it like I did without knowing what you're getting into. Firstly, the research presented throughout was dot 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 thin. They deliberately conflate their subjects on the basis for making for a better story, but this highlights their faux dialogue and made me wonder, if women really are asking these questions, why they couldn't actually quote the actual subjects? Why make up make-believe narrative? So they explain that. This is me now. Um, Ginger, they explain that in the book. They explain that they create these composite female characters. They include themselves, but they build these composite female characters that are sort of a compilation of women that they know and people that they have met while engaging in their research. And they do that on purpose. I think it's a very useful tool to get you invested in the content and to see the advice that they're giving come to life 
in real people or pseudo real people. Okay, back to Ginger's review. Secondly, the conclusion is that the cause of women's stress is dot 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 the patriarchy. I'm serious. That's their conclusion. Okay, even if I can buy into that, that does not explain why men would have stress. If the cause of our stress is that women are expected to give every drop of your humanity, and for a record, this feels like a lazy characterization of the male-female dynamic they're getting at, there is a nuance here. I know no man who expects the women in his life to give every drop of her humanity in support of them no matter the cost. Yes, Ginger, you are right. However, I think you're missing a really important part here, which is that women feel like they need to do that, even though the people around them don't need them to do that. And the reason for that is the patriarchy. I can't help but feel that Ginger is actually a very interesting voice that helps us understand just how stuck we can get in these ideas. That we can't be stressed because of the patriarchy. Why not? That doesn't mean that men are bad. It means that we have been raised in a society that prioritizes men over women And as such, we have believed that consciously or subconsciously to our detriment, to our stress and burnout. I think that's what the book led me to understand. I'm going to go back to Ginger's review. She said, it felt cheap and capitalizing on the very real me too, hashtag resist, hashtag she persisted moment, agenda driven as opposed to actually dealing with the stress problem. If you want to write a book about decrying the patriarchy, fine, do that. Just don't disguise it as a book on how to deal with stress. Um, I'm going to go one more time and just with my own voice say that the book does that and then it also tells you how to deal with stress in very real and very practical and useful ways that I have actually deployed in my own life. So again, I, I can't help but feel that Ginger really got hung up on the parts of the book she didn't like and has used that as criticism without reading the rest of the books. The parts of the book that she's looking for are there. I think that's what I'm trying to say. I'll save you time for even that and tell you that their best secret for dealing with stress, get ready, it's groundbreaking, exercise. Not that we've all known for years, decades, that moving your body is great for stress. That's their big secret. Okay, well, spoiler alert, Ginger. That is true. But actually, I think that they admit that even though we've known for years, decades, that moving your body is important for stress, they explain to me why it's important in a way that I'd never heard before. And they also acknowledge that exercise is a tool of body criticism and hypercritique, and that they want us to consider exercise in a way, regardless of the shape of your body, that the benefits of exercise help you complete the stress cycle and allow you to move on from storing the stress in your body in a way that is really damaging. And they have great examples of that in the book. I'm going to move on from Ginger's review. I'm sorry she thinks it won't be helpful to women. I can definitely say for sure it was helpful to me, and it probably was helpful to many of the other people who gave it a five-star review, but I do think it's important. It's important to read the reviews of somebody who didn't agree with me and actually find that the things that I liked are the things that they didn't like, and that's totally okay. I think that that's a really, you know, interesting thing to engage in as a way of, um, (laughs) as a way of, you know, liking what you like and recognizing that people don't like it and not having too big of an ego when it comes to that. 
Okay, that was my number one book, Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. I do also have to say, I think it's very interesting that their parents gave them essentially the same name, right? Emily and Amelia? Agree or disagree? Discuss. Okay, wow, that was a lot of books. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for settling in with me for the review of my spring reads. I think I've learned a valuable lesson here, which is I kept reading one more book and putting off the recording of this podcast in the hopes that I would have a lot to talk about. And I think looking back, I maybe had a little bit too much to talk about. And probably a books episode that sits around the 10 bookmark would probably be the sweet spot for me. Nevertheless, I am very glad to have had the chance to review these books with you. And thank you for listening. I do want to end with a section I like to call More Please. And that is a really great new to me book podcast. Now there are many book podcasts out there. I think it's important that you listen around and find the one that you like. One that I like right now is the podcast called The Currently Reading Podcast. This is with Katie Cobb and Meredith Monday Schwartz. These two women have a really great dynamic amongst one another. They get really excited about books. They read a lot of books and a lot of different kinds of books, which is why I like this podcast because I also read a lot of different kinds of books. They also do really good synopses of the books that they read in a way that helps me decide really quickly if I want to read them or not. If you are looking for a podcast that is exclusively talking about books, go ahead and give a listen to the Currently Reading Podcast with Meredith Monday Schwartz and Katie Cobb. That podcast has led me to read my next book, which is Into the Drowning Deep by Mira Grant. This book has been labeled by that podcast as mermaid horror fiction. And I don't have a quadrant yet for mermaid horror fiction, but so far into this book, I might have to design one. It is a very exciting book so far, very well written, and pretty darn spooky. I'm not gonna lie. It feels like maybe it would have been a better October book, but here we are, beginning of June, and that's the book that's on my next to-be-read pile. Thank you for listening today. As always, I hope you will consider giving the podcast a rating and review wherever you are listening. If you're interested in books I've read in the past or books that I plan to read, come and join me on Instagram. I could be found at medium.lady over there. I would love to connect with you and hear what you're reading these days. What is your number one book? What book would you recommend that I probably pass on? And as always, I really want to thank you for the time that you spend listening to this podcast. I hope you feel like you can think a little bit more about how to use medium effort to have fun in your reading life, to figure out what you like to read best, and to reach more for more of those books and less of the books that you don't like so much. In the meantime, I'm Erin, this has been Medium Lady Talks, and I will see you again soon. Bye.